0: You're listening to What She Said with Candace Sampson, a podcast for Canadian women about Canadian women. A mansplaining free zone, What She Said is here to empower, educate, and entertain you. Divorce is hard, but separation, as I and many, many others have come to realize, can be harder. The physiological and psychological impact can be profound even in the most amicable of separations. Throw in some conflict, though, and the devastation can be off the charts. In the coming years, we will no doubt see an escalation in high conflict separations as courts struggle to keep up with what is expected to be a tidal wave of divorce filings as the world opens up again. The cascading effect of all this, of course, spills out into our society, and the consequences are almost immeasurable. My next guest is committed to helping. Sunny McFadden-Curtis spent over four years filming her documentary, Broken Vows, Stories of Separation, that began with a simple question, when a marriage ends, where do you begin? Well, for now, how about right here? If your marriage is coming to a close, or if you're stuck in separation limbo, then this is a podcast you won't want to miss. Meet Sunny McFadden Curtis. Sunny, Sunny, Sunny. I don't even know where to begin with this podcast. I, You sent me a link for your documentary, and I was um, engrossed with it, to say the least. So, you asked the question, when a marriage ends, where do you begin? So why don't I just open up the podcast there? Where do we begin?
1: Well, um, there are multiple places where you can begin. But where I would begin, I believe, would be to find a really good therapist, <clears throat> pardon me, or counselor for both you and your children if there are children involved. And um, get the support and help that you need. Uh, also, you know, reach out to friends or family and let them know where you are and that, and explain to them the type of support you need. Be very direct about the support that you need, whether it be that they just listen, they check in with you, you need the odd meal, um, take the kids for a day, a night, uh, 10 minutes, an hour, um, whatever it is that you need, uh, reach out to your supports and um, tell them specifically what it is that you need. And then um, Perhaps if, if you're able to, you find yourself a good lawyer and, um, you know, make sure that it's somebody who is, specializes in family law.
0: I, I agree with that point, by the, by the way. Uh, I've had many discussions in and around um, this topic, and it is surprising to me how many judges there are on the bench uh, uh, who are making decisions for family law who have actually no background in family law. Uh, but let's, let's go to the documentary because this is interesting to me. So when I started to watch it, I, I mean, I, I had an, a little bit of an expectation of what was coming. Uh, I was surprised to see you featured your story featured in your documentary. So was that what prompted you to, to make this documentary was your story. And then you found these other women to participate.
1: Most would think that that would be the reason why. but um, as it turns out, it, it isn't. Uh, it just was a hap- uh, you know a situation where I was going through a separation um, midway through making this documentary, coincidentally enough. But no, what it was was that I kept meeting an influx of women who were either sequestered in the court system for years or in paralysis, not knowing what was lurking around the corner, concerned for their children, worried about losing their homes. And I kept meeting these women over and over again. And being an advocate for women and children, um, I wanted to search out and find the answers to these questions for these women's be- women, because they had no idea where to go for these answers. And Um, which I found astonishing that they couldn't get the answers to the questions they had. So I set out on a journey starting with uh, uh, one of um, the few judges that I've met that I I really liked and um, trusted. And he gave me many answers to their questions. And then Broken Vows kind of went on a journey from there.
0: So tell me then, how long did it take you uh, to make this? Because uh, it does seem to span quite a few years.
1: Yes. Um, well, documentaries often do span over years, and um, "Broken Vows" took me four and a half years, and then I put another year into putting together a uh, six-volume digital resource that answers over 350 questions in uh, pertaining to separation.
0: Wow. Where, where was this four years ago when I needed it? <laughs> That's absolutely incredible that you've done this. Um, And I love it. So you're obviously motivated uh, by a purpose. So this has become a bit of a um, purpose-driven thing for you then, by the sounds of it.
1: Very much so. Uh, In fact, I, I would like to continue starting a movement, so to speak, in this area. Because unfortunately, separation is never going to end. And there's always going to be... Um, in, in my situation, dealing with women, there's always going to be women out there looking for answers and needing support. And so um, I will continue on this journey of working in this area, along with other things, of course. But I will continue this.
0: How did you find the women that you feature in this documentary? How did you find these women?
1: Well, typically with my documentaries, it happens um, Uh, You know, it happens through speaking to people, putting the word out there, but organically. It happens organically. And also what I typically do with my subjects when I'm looking for subjects or they've reached out to me is I do a pre-interview to see if in the pre-interview they're comfortable, comfortable. You know, speaking to me, how much they'll share what their story is, so I can have diversity because I want to be far-reaching to women out there. Because, as you said, no two stories are the same, and and of course, I don't really want to try and cover two stories that are the same. I want some diversity. So it starts with putting out the word, and then it happening organically, and then me doing pre-interviews and going from there.
0: So let's talk about some of the people that you featured. Then, uh, do you want to start with the with with each story perhaps, and we could talk a little bit about, uh, each, each woman you
1: interviewed. Sure. Um, one of the women that I was in contact with the longest is Colette. You may remember Colette who has a son, Cole, and, um, she was what she thought in a very happy marriage, moving along with her life. And then all of a sudden, um, she was blindsided by her husband who, um, according to her was having, affairs. And um, her son Cole has special needs. And he outright said that he wanted to have a child, a healthy child. And so um, there began the end of their marriage. Um, Colette being a very strong woman and, you know, has been Cole's advocate from day one. And he's thriving now. He's 19. But when I um, interviewed her, he was around 11 or 12. And then I have Yolanda, who um, was missing something in her marriage and did not want to live her life out with, you know, not being happy, you know. And she was very comfortable in terms of financially in her marriage. And, you know, from the outside, it looked like the perfect marriage. But for her, something was missing and she did not want to live her life out um, unhappy in her marriage. And then I have an amicable marriage, um, which I wanted to show that that can be done. And um, Louisa really loved her husband, but he wanted certain things in the marriage that she wasn't willing to sell herself short for and decided to leave the marriage. But even though that happened, it was amicable. And then I have Annie and um, her husband came out during their marriage. And, um, you know, just to name a few of the stories. So there you have, you know, four of the stories. And then, of course, my story. Um, And, you know, I think what I'll do is I'll save my story for when they watch the doc.
0: Absolutely. And I encourage anybody uh, to watch the documentary uh, who's going through this, because, you know, one of the things I found when I was going through, well, I'm still sort of in in it, but was, I wasn't able to find solid information to help me. Uh, Google searches weren't really helping. Uh, I found Facebook groups were sort of, um, you know, just complaining centers. And so they weren't very helpful uh, to me. So it is good to know, to be able to watch and see these stories that are so different from each other, um, to see how other people are dealing with, with it. Um, but separation, as I have learned, can be a very, um, dangerous time for women, uh, in terms of, you know, the expectations of perhaps, you know, what you're responsible for still in the marriage, which has come Back to bite me, uh, the implications on your physical well being, your mental well being. Uh, there's a lot to carry. Um, so, when you were f- filming this, was there anything that surprised you that you didn't expect? As you were was you know as you were conducting these interviews, did anything come out and s- sort of shock you?
1: Oh my gosh, that happened uh, repeatedly. And so not only did I, do I have these, these women's stories, the seven main, uh, leads, but I also wanted to show the perspective of family members and friends and what they went through, what they experienced and how they could be there for their family or friends. And, um, all I can say without giving too much away, uh, Colette's father, she spoke so highly of of him time and time again that I really had to meet this man and speak to him to see if I could incorporate his story into the doc. And while interviewing him, in my in front of my very eyes, he revealed something to me that not his daughter didn't even know that he had been holding on to for 36 years. And um, it was shocking and um, quite the story. But through sharing that, um, he was able to let go finally after all that time. And um, it's, it's pretty, pretty shocking story. And then, of course, you know, seeing the women in front of me um, through multiple uh, interviewing them multiple times, uh, I would see them physically releasing from what they had been holding on to. But yeah, so each of their stories has a compelling component to it. But I have to say, Joe, Collette's father, uh, his documentary was also very revealing. Sorry, his um, interview was very revealing.
0: Yeah, I have to say that part of the documentary hit me hard uh, because it was, for me, it was a moment realizing how far reaching the impact of this is for people when it's left unresolved. And uh, personally, that's very much my story. You know, I, I I worry about my children and the impact this will have on them because there is a lot of unresolved issues right now. Uh, so seeing that really did... Um, hit hard. So I hope people watch it for that to, even if it's just, even you know, married, separated, divorced, doesn't matter. I mean, I think what we're lacking in this society is a general awareness of how this all works and the impact. And I keep saying that we're just churning out broken people from the family court systems who go on to hurt other people. And as a society, we have to look at this uh, more holistically uh, so that people can go out and live full productive lives because we're just harming people the way that it's currently operating. Um, So I was surprised to see his story and how far reaching that was for him personally. Um, One of the other interviews you did, there was a, I, I, and I can't remember her name right now, but very specifically recall her being quite despondent uh, at her situation. You followed up with her a couple of years later and she was working. She seemed brighter. She seemed happier uh, and I believe she was from the East coast.
1: Yes, Susan.
0: Yeah. And so her story was powerful.
1: Yes. Well, if you could possibly imagine, uh, or, or, or not, she's still dealing with the court system.
0: So how many years has it been for her then?
1: Um, I believe it's been six years And out of, pardon me, all my subjects, she's the only one that's uh, still in the court system. And um, right now, he's trying to take her spousal away. And um, I had another subject, Krista, in the documentary, and she was sequestered in the court system for 13 years.
0: The court system. That could literally be an entire documentary into itself. What are your thoughts on how we could reform the court system in Canada?
1: Well, that's a big question. But let me just dial it back and start um, with the simple things. Well, what in the whole scheme of things, the court system, is many complicated things, but let's just go back to the beginning. And I believe that judges should study and know their case files. So don't go into a courtroom with uh, a woman or even a man and not know who's in front of you and be versed with their their case and their information. Because this is somebody's life and their children that we're dealing with. And um, so I think they should know the cases inside and out. And when you become a judge, you, you know that that's involved So, yes, it takes a lot of time and energy, but that's part of your job because these are people's lives we're talking about. And um, when, speaking of a woman, because my documentary mainly pertains to women, don't allow the exes to keep bringing them to court off and on for years for frivolous things. And if they do bring them back to court that they should have to pay for both of their lawyers and the case and not put it on the woman because she is quite content with where she is, or she doesn't want to go back to court. Don't make her pay for something frivolous that you want to bring her back into court for. So you know, we'll just start right there.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think what the, what the courts have done essentially has turned uh, it into the d- divorcing into a bit of the wild West um, because, Because there's this unofficial playbook that is passed around because one person learns how to game the system and they pass it on to the next person who passes it on to the next person. And so you have, you know, almost two streams of people going through the court. You have those who are abiding by all the rules, playing along, and then you have the people who are avoiding the rules, ignoring court orders dragging things on and there doesn't seem to be any consequences for those people
1: right which is why um a few of us have to go into the court system and shake it up
0: i i agree my my concern is not my concern my issue is where where do we start you know you say where do you start uh after a marriage ends uh, but where do you start with the court system? Uh, you know, it seems like everybody wants to pass the buck here. Uh, FRO is essentially useless in Ontario. That's the Family Responsibility Office. Uh, you know, I've reached out to MPs. They say it's it's a bigger issue. Uh, you, so how do we start to affect these changes? Because honestly, I, I think... There's a good case for a class action lawsuit against the Canadian government for how they are handling this. It's, it's handled so poorly.
1: Well, I'll tell you this. Protesting, and for lack of a better description, and I'm not saying that you are uh, bad-mouthing them or attacking them, will not get you what you want. What you need to do is you have to initiate meetings. But when you go into those meetings... You, and, and and with the right people, you have to go in with the right information, go in with multiple letters and multiple stories, um, shortened versions, of course, because they just won't read them. And, you know, go to them with what you need and, and start with the right people and um, starting there. And but, but going out there and protesting and all those things will not make a change and will not make a difference. But you've got to have, you know, these meetings and, and constant meetings and that show them you're not going away. And but when you go into these meetings, as I mentioned, be prepared. What is it that you want? What is it that you're looking for? What what do you think needs to change? How can I help you with this? Um, the court system will always say that they're, you know, stretched the max. Uh, Fro, for example, that you mentioned they probably since um, the pandemic as of late have let people go. So you have what used to be, hypothetically, a staff of 100. Now you have a skeleton staff of 20 people to the job of 100. So it's impossible for them to do proper coverage of really what's going on. So um, initiate meetings. But before you initiate these meetings, you need to know what it is you're asking for and starting simple. And once you've formulated relationships with these people, then you go from there.
0: Now, have you had any of these meetings? Have you actually been involved in this um, from your end?
1: Okay, well, what I can tell you in respect to that is that, um, as you know, I'm an advocate for women and children, and before I did this project, um, I worked in anti-bullying education for 10 years, um, So, but and uh, I was instrumental along with MPP Elizabeth Whitmar and two anti-bullying coalitions to have a resolution passed in Ontario. And that resolution is that the third week of November, every calendar year, is allocated to anti-bullying education in our schools. And yes, a week isn't enough, but that's where I I look at it as a start, a starting place for the rest of the year. So in respect to have I had meetings and have I done this? I have done this before in other areas. And um, have I had these meetings? Uh Candace no I'm sorry I've been a little busy with this documentary. <laughs> <so>.
0: <laughs> no, I just I, I there's nothing accusatory in my question at all. Oh, no, no, I, no, I'm no. literally just wondering if you've I if you've if you've been in the process with this at all or do you no. know anybody who is currently trying to make these changes?
1: No, but I know the people that I would I would um bring into my circle to do so. I absolutely do. <clears throat> Candace. <laughs>
0: Oh, I'm there. I'm telling you, I am in. And and, and I'll tell you why, because I feel like I've, you know, I'm coming up on almost four years now. And I understand why women get to the end of this process. They're burnt out, they're tired, and they're finished. And all they want to do is never think about it again. So they have no energy to fight for somebody else. And I get that. I'm I a little too. bit more. I'm a little bit more tenacious. I'm. I don't want this to happen to anybody else. So I'm in, uh, because I think these changes need to happen. Um, because I look at it again from a broader societal view, where I think this is damaging our society. Uh, mm-hmm. What we're doing here, we are. We're just. We're as I said, we're just churning out broken people. And in my case, um, as as spiteful as my ex has been, I really think that the courts did him a disservice. Frankly, he could have been saved from himself if there had been some enforcement or some quicker action, or if he wasn't essentially emboldened to continue with behavior because there was no consequences. So yeah. I think there's a lot that can happen there uh, in those terms. And so my, when I watch Broken Vows, I was really getting the emotion of of these women and the pain that they went through, uh, through that. When you followed up with them, it was nice to see that there were some happier endings. Did that surprise you? Because in the moment, some of those people seemed like they were never going to come out of that.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's one of the most psychologically exhausting times in, in this case, in a woman's life. <clears throat> so And I mean, you know, just to step aside from that for a second, if a separation isn't dealt with appropriately, the most vulnerable will be affected. And we know who they are, the children, and they'll be affected for the rest of their lives, again, if not handled appropriately. But in respect to these women, no, I wasn't surprised because Candace, and I want the, the listeners out there to know that you can walk through the darkness to the light and it will be difficult, but you can do it. Absolutely. But, you know, in respect to the children, and and we have adult children of separation in the documentary, and they're very raw and vulnerable. It can be, you know, life lasting for their their lives. And, you know, again, like you said, they could take it into other relationships, if they don't get the proper help that they need. And that's why I say, upon separation, you need to bring a counselor um, or a therapist on immediately.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, so I talk about this a lot about uh, the example I use is my daughter who had a back injury um, through cheerleading. And, you know, it went on for a couple of years. She was finally admitted to the chronic pain clinic at the Children's Hospital in, in Ottawa. And when we went in, she was assigned a team of people. There was a psychologist. There was a physiotherapist. There was a doctor. There was a pharmacist. And they each sort of had their own specialty. And they all worked together together to get her through this. And I think when it comes to divorce, there's a better way to deal with this. And there almost should be a team, a therapist, a lawyer, a real estate uh, person.
1: You know, that's so funny you should say that because, yeah. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but the psychotherapist in my doc, <clears throat> Bev, who had that crazy story about the woman who was, you know, <laughs> you know the story. Um, she... You know, I pose this question to her and she absolutely agrees with me and she is going to be involved in any change that I make or that I I try to make. So 100% you should work as a team or there should be a team of people because it takes a village. I mean, like you said, separation is a huge, huge undertaking and if so many people are involved but if they're not talking to each other or sharing information or reading the files, it really defeats the purpose, does it not? Yeah,
0: and and this is the thing about this documentary that I think is so important is that when I I first separated, I really thought I trusted in the system. I did not know Mm -hmm. how flawed it was. I didn't realize how broken this system was. I really thought that I would be taken care of. The law is the law. And so I didn't worry about it initially. It was really about two years in before it started to dawn on me, nobody was coming. And you really need to advocate for yourself at every turn. And you have to be relentless in your pursuit. Uh, because as soon as you drop the ball, everybody else does. That Nobody's going to come and nobody's going to go, oh, Candace must be feeling hard, to, like having a hard day. Let me reach out. Nobody's there to do that.
1: No, and that's why I also said that we need to let people, our supports know what we need. Um, But yes, but we we do have to be uh, our loudest advocate. And again, it's it's such an exhausting time. And, and, you know, we're not just taking care of ourselves. We're taking care of children. We're taking care of bills. We're working. We're doing all these things. It's a very difficult time, but you're absolutely right. And um, you, you feel like you can't drop any balls and you really can't. And it does sometimes go on forever and and it's exhausting. And then, like you said, at the end, you you don't feel like, um, and sometimes rightfully so, then going back in there and, you know, going against the court system. But, you know, I agree with you, Candace, it's something that needs to be done. Otherwise, it's just going to keep repeating itself and it's only going to get worse. And it can be very dangerous, as you also mentioned, you know, some of these situations and cases, very dangerous. And my heart goes out to these children that have to be in the middle of and in the crossfire of all this craziness.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, I'm sorry that you had to go through that as well. And four years, that's a long time as well.
0: And it's still not over. I mean, my my case continues to evolve. It's, it's, it, to me, it's outrageous. Uh, so but I mean, well, as I've said, you know, the some of the conversations I have is a lot of people say, well, it takes two. And I, and I keep saying, no, it doesn't. It takes one. Once it may take two for a marriage to collapse, but it definitely only takes one uh, when it comes to the divorce and separation. Because if one person wants to hold it up, they can. And that is the danger. Uh, and I can tell you from personal experiences, I'm left holding the bag with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt right now, a destroyed family home uh, and, you know, the damage to my daughters. I can tell you without a doubt that that can happen.
1: Well, I saw um, something that you'd posted <clears throat> taking us through the home that was left for months, uh, water in the basement or whatnot. Oh, my God, that was shocking absolutely shocking and horrifying and um like are you on the other side of that now is the home repaired is it like where are you with that
0: no so i'm I'm back in the home uh cost roughly thirty thousand dollars to remediate it to get it safe to live in um but You know, it will take years to get it back, but it is the only asset I have to save that would provide me with some sort of security for my future, plus allow me to um, leave a legacy for my daughters. Um, So for me, it was really important to save the family home. It was their home, my children's home for a time.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So it was shocking. But what is more shocking to me that's come out of this since that time is that the police would not charge him because they could not prove intent.
1: <laughs> they, how do you they, not prove intent under those circumstances?
0: Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. So it's, it's, this is the, this is how enraging this is. That, now may I ask know, what
1: city you're speaking yeah. of? Ottawa. Ottawa.
0: Yeah. So it was, uh, it's, these are the things that I'm running into constantly. For example, uh, you know, went back to the judge after the damage had been done to my home. It took her quite a long time to get back to me, vesting other assets into my name to pay for the damage, to help pay for the damages, I should say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I have come since come to find out, um, you know, that if I want these assets, I am the one that needs to go collect them, creating a very confrontational situation for me, with somebody who has refused to participate in the process for four years. Wow. So this is setting a whole other dynamic up, which I think is unacceptable. And it's not that I am fearful. I am not afraid. However, physically, I am five feet tall and 110 pounds. And then the expectation is that I am going to go confront this person for my property. Right so these are these are the kinds of things in the system that i think are so flawed and the the right hand doesn't know what the left is doing and this is playing out daily in the system all of these little things where nobody's talking to each other which i come back to that approach where i say if you had a team of people who could help navigate this mm-hmm. we would have a way better system we would avoid a lot of confrontation uh, you know, I don't know how you deal with somebody like my ex in particular, who just absolutely refuses to participate, but there does have to, there should be a way. Um, yes. So there's just a, there's a lot here. And so, you know, I, I guess, what's next, I think, I guess for you in terms of where do you go from you've produced this documentary, which is powerful, really looks at the lives of these women, but has it, has it pushed you to go further now do you want to explore this subject matter further or are you kind of done
1: um well again the whole point of doing this doc was recognizing a need and that need is only you know gaining momentum so um and i also mentioned that i I would like to start a movement but so i would like to um do a, a podcast that would educate uh women per se along with my documentary i've got my resources But um, I would also like to get together a group of, I'm going to say women and really sit down, come up with a game plan, you know, like for example, all the things that you've gone through, writing it out is one thing, but putting it in point form and then saying, you know, what the needs are and perhaps getting uh, signatures from, from other women, but, but basically coming together with a group of women maybe specializing in different areas um, and you you having a a public platform and whatnot and really sitting down and brainstorming what we can do because honestly speaking um, we can really make a difference and we really can create change and but it's exhausting doing it alone I know I've been there
0: it really really is and this is where if you can't find the village, you create one. 100%.
1: So we're we're putting the word out there.
0: So I just want to go back to the documentary for a second. You have received so many awards for this documentary. So I'm going to give you a moment to just please gloat and share the number of awards you've received for this
1: documentary. Thank you, Candice. Very nice of you to say. Um, yeah, so I... Uh, Part of my strategy once completing the documentary was to submit it to film festivals and um, try to try to gain uh, momentum and get the word out there. Because the number one thing for me with this documentary was to for it to be far reaching and to help people. And so in order to gain recognition, that was part of my plan. And, and you know, I was very fortunate to have gotten these um, awards. But so uh, some of the awards were for. Audio, design, direct, best director, um, best documentary chosen by an audience. Um, and yeah, the list goes on. And then honorable rec- uh, recognition from Cannes. Um, but really what that meant to me, Candice, was that it was going to get me to my end game. It was going to get recognition so that I could then have conversations with people like you and get the word out there and help people. And so I'm just in that place right now, completing the doc, being in festivals for a year, now doing press, and now having distribution. Um, I'm setting it up so that um, Broken Vows, Stories of Separation, will help people and help women in particular. And subsequently, Candice, if we help women... We're going to help their children.
0: Absolutely, I agree. And so I want people to be able to find your documentary. So where can they uh, watch it and and catch up with all of these stories you've covered?
1: Well, that's a good question, (laughs) Candice. It's going live April 19th on Prime, Apple TV, Google Play, Hoopla, FanDor, and Voodoo. And that's only the first release. The second release on further platforms will be May 24th. So, but if people want to stay in touch with, you know, this journey and um, these sorts of questions, they can find me on Instagram. I don't know if um, you're able to, or if you do post one socials, but uh, my Instagram is sunny, S U biz, B I Z 13. And uh, my, my website is brokenvowsfilm.com. If people want to inquire about the resources, again, answering over 350 questions pertaining to separation, um, they can find me in those areas. And you know what else, Candice? I am interested in your stories. You can reach out to me um, and, you know, we can go from there. But I am happy to hear your stories. Not happy of what you're going through, but I'm, I'm happy uh, for people to reach out to me.
0: All right. I'm going to put all of those links in the liner notes then of this podcast, because this conversation needs to continue. These changes need to happen. So I am so happy uh, that you actually picked it up. Uh, the documentary is incredibly powerful. I encourage everybody to go and watch it right now. Sunny, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Candace. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer.